10% of churchgoers in the United States attend only 10% of the churches in our country. An average of 50 smaller churches will close their doors every week in the United States. And in these large structures, you can work in your marriage, you can learn to relax, you can become a better you, you can get free babysitting and a workout all in the same place. The reality is that the DNA of the church, the basics and essentials of church, is that we are longing to connect people to God, not merely to connect them to us. So the church that is not intentional, the church that is not purposeful, the church that is not deliberate in this, is the church that loses its way. And so over the next three weeks, I want to address three questions that come forth, I think, from God's Word regarding the church. We want to ask ourselves, what does the church look like? What does the church say? And what is the church to do? Three questions. What does the church look like? What does the church say? What is the church to do? And setting these matters as matters of the heart is essential to our well-being as a local assembly. What is the church to look like? What is the, the model of the church? If we were boiling it down and boiling it down and boiling it down, kind of like maple syrup, so that we could have syrup eventually. Interestingly, it's a 40 to 1 ratio, 40 gallons of sap for only 1 gallon of syrup. But if we were to boil church down, what would it look like in its purest form as its lowest common denominator? What is the model of the gathering of God's people? It's been said that simplicity is the seal of truth. So what's the truth? Well, I think that Ephesians 3 serves us well because it's a gold mine. For those of us wanting to know basically what is our gathering about. And I've got just two points for you this morning as we think about this essential subject. First of all, this the church was deliberately designed to make God known. The church was deliberately designed to make God known. Notice again with me verse 10 from our reading this morning. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Church has this component in which we are to make known who God is. We're to magnify God. You remember microscopes and those little glass slides? And you put a little bag of something on there, and then you slide it into the microscope, and all of a sudden this whole new world is in view. All of God upon our life in its most basic form is that we would image, that we would demonstrate, that we would become a preview of all that God is capable of doing in human life. We become displays of the wisdom and the majesty of God. In verse 6 and in verse 9 of this chapter, there is this great mystery of the gospel that now Gentiles are being folded in and they're being gathered to God through Christ's work. The outsiders are becoming insiders. The unclean are getting caught and clean, and they become a display of God's glory. And so if you think about it, dear ones, the church is to be about the ministry of magnifying a living Savior to a dying world. It's in our most basic form, not thinking about consumption, but rather transportation, it's about magnifying the gospel in our lives. Not simply about raising up a group of people 
revelation of the glory of God's work. This is fantastic to contemplate. In fact, Cain goes a little further and says this, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Have you ever thought about your ministry to neighbors and unsafe family members as a ministry that reverberates in the heavenlies, universally? I told you that Ephesians is a deep book, and it's a deep book. But it talks to us about the things that might be going on that are unknown to us and unseen to us. The idea even about this great cloud of witnesses in the book of Hebrews, that there is something going on beyond what is simply going on. And right away, some of you are looking at me a little funny, I get that. Do you realize that when we serve this matchless king, that there is a tectonic plate shift in the sense in which God is receiving glory and honor and praise within hallways that we can only imagine, and we can only imagine them at this point. We see through a glass darkly, we don't see clearly at this point. And yet you've got it there to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Amazing thought. Think about it. Here in this small town in northern New York, in this local church, formed in the year 1800, that we have a responsibility to display God to the watching world. And we're able to do that. He empowers us to do that. He gives us a credit oughtness to do that. We feel the weight of that responsibility. And if you don't feel that weight, my question must be to you this. Why don't you feel that weight? Why don't you feel that responsibility? We exist to image God, to manifest His great greatness in our spheres of influence. I'm just a couple of days away, I think, from having another grandson. His name is Robert Isaac Scott Bogart. I'm really excited about that. He's going to be an image bearer. That's just how God has grown us, how he has wired us. And you understand that, that God has determined that we will become image bearers. We, we know the imago Dei, the, the image of God. And we want to magnify the image of God. And so for us to go around and to live a life that has nothing to do with Jesus, looks nothing like Jesus, doesn't bear the character marks of Jesus, the traits of Jesus, the characteristics of Jesus, is to miss our calling. It is to miss our calling because the church was deliberately designed to make God known. When we find ourselves adopting a kind of perspective that says, of this local church or of other believers, hey, I was wondering, what have you done for me lately? We're missing the mark of what the gathering of God's people is really about. People want to see, need to see God's character in us. So as we think basically about the church model, I think you've got to begin there. You've got to begin with this concept that I exist to make God known. And unless His grace is active, emboldening me, cleaning me, sanctifying me, I am a poor, I am a poor advertisement of the gospel. So think with me of that first major thought when we think of the model of the church. I exist to make God known. I exist to exude, exude His grace, to perspire away into this culture, His grace and His majesty. Second thought, the church.
church is to model the gathering of the redeemed. The church is to model the gathering of the redeemed. Verse 11 goes on and it says this, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You need to understand, if you struggle with understanding the value of the local church, drink deeply of this verse. This intended plan of God magnifying his wisdom reverberating through the universe is one that has behind it his eternal purposes. So we speak about the purposeful church, the intentional church, the deliberate church. You need to understand the church is not an afterthought. Explosion of the gospel through local assemblies reverberating universally is the intended plan of the creator of the planet. The planet. I was thinking about it this way this past week. The crushing of the serpent's head and the bruising of the Messiah's heel from Genesis 3, which we would call the proton Evangelion, or first mention of the gospel. Um, all of the events of Genesis 3 did not take God by surprise. It was not as though God, who had created man and woman and given to them in this place, this garden, shalom and wholeness, that somehow, when he saw in Adam's cosmic trees and their rebellion, that he thought, oh no, my creation is corrupted and rebellious, what shall I do? Well, now you've got to understand that this was part of God's plan, and that God is using this plan, working this plan, for our good and for his glory. Think about it this way with me, this convocation of the consecrated is part of the eternal purposes of God. His grace is gathering a people for his name. When you move ahead to the last book in the Bible, in Revelation, what do you see? God gathering people. Every tribe and condemnation. People bowing before the throne, worshiping the slaughtered lamb who alone has authority, who is worthy, worthy, worthy. So when you, when you dig into this concept of a local church, and I realize this has been heavy sledding for some people, when you dig into it, you realize that it's supposed to have eternal meaning. Sometimes the danger for us is that we, we live in such an instantaneous view of everything. I mean, we are microwave people. I mean, I, got a, I went to last Sunday to get the coffee for our, our sunrise service, and I said, I'm like three boxes of joe. And the guy said, do you realize that's going to take a lot? Nine minutes? And I said, that'll be fine. One minute is fine. But it was almost like anything more than a couple of minutes, I'm gone. I'm out of here. We live in such an instantaneous world that it's unhelpful for us because there is an eternal component that some of us are distracted from all the time. We rarely think about eternity. But we think about next week and next month, we're thinking about summertime, we're doing some short-term planning. But the call of God upon his people's lives is that we think big picture. And that's where so many of us struggle. It's been well said that the difference between a comedy and a tragedy is the ending. They have the same opening, they have the same middle, the same body. It's all about the ending. And for the people of God, the point of our lives is that we would peer through the midst of the future and recognize eternity and its significance.
last days, Hebrews begins, spoken unto us by his son, Jesus Christ. The final, fullest word is, it's about Jesus. It's not about religion, it's not about form, it's about relationship. And so, throughout the book, the book of Hebrews keeps saying this, Jesus is better than, Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Aaron. Jesus is better than Melchizedek. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than this priesthood. Jesus is just better than. He's a completed, finished work. And so, don't lose your grip on Jesus and the gospel. Then we come to chapter 10, verse 25, because we're understanding some of how they've been struggling. And here it is in verse 25. It says, I'll back up to 24, and let us consider one another in order to start up love and good works. Person already come to the fore in this service, and we did not plan that. Not forsaking the assembling of your of ourselves together, as is the matter of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The gathering of the early local church was to be regular. The gathering of the early Local church, the assembling of the saints was to be regular. They were not to forsake the assembling of themselves together. There, there are many people who, who would claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they have little to no interest in attending the services of God's people. They've chosen a diet that has huge helpings of grace, but they cannot stomach the whole grain of truth. And so for them, the idea of not congregating, not coming together, not being in convocation, is really no biggie. Everybody does it. For, for many, even missing church is the rule, not the exception. We live in a culture that basically says, well, whatever. And so there's, there's no insurance that this intricate part of the soul's health becomes good, proper, and right. It becomes a disposable good. It becomes an elective. Our all-consuming work week demands downtime. And it seems that rest and recovery cannot be found in the house of the Lord, which mitigates and wars against the very warp and woof of Scripture. I don't understand why, why church sometimes seems so taxing to some folks. My soul is refreshed in being with God's people. I love being of God's people was regular. Michael Horton is spot on when he says the visible church is where you will find Christ's kingdom on earth, and to disregard the kingdom is to disregard its king. And so this gathering was regular. It was regular for the first century saints, and it has to be regular for us as well. Secondly, this, this gathering was necessary. So much more as you see the day approaching, Hebrews 10 25 says. As the signs of the times grow more pronounced, gathering was to increase, not to decrease. One of the things that I think we should never waste is the sweat and the treasure of the saints. The model of the church gathered is never to be a waste of time or a massive effort. I'm highly conscious that you are investing your treasure in paying me to study and to preach and to teach God's Word to you as a teaching elder here. And over the years of pastoral ministry, I find it bizarre 
that some believers seem so uninterested in a return on their investment. Now, I don't say that because I think I'm scintillating or because I think I'm the bee's knees or because God raises up those that will explain God's word and it is essential that we together hear it. It is necessary to our spiritual well-being. One of the things that I can say this, if I could drop a truth bomb on you, would simply be this. You will never convince your unsafe family members and your neighbors that the gospel and that church is highly important to you if you neglect gathering together with God's people week by week by week. You know, it's never happened. They're not looking for you and saying, hey, I wonder. I, I wonder if God is important to them. One of the ways that we make the invisible visible is by being together with one another. Did you get that? We make the invisible visible by congregating. The body, different stones, different parts of the body, um, different, um, you know, different uh, building materials. We bring this thing together, and there is this delight in which God is declaring through our gathering the gospel. He reconciles us to one another. He brings us to the place where we delight to be with one another, even though we are not yet perfect. And we have not arrived. And I'm not talking about people who are always a lot of fun to be around. But God is working, cleaning, sanctifying, perfecting, making whole His people in this place. And it's His plan. You see, that's an, that's, that's an interesting plan. I would say it is an interesting plan. But it's God's plan. The gathering of God's people is regular. The gathering of God's people was necessary. Our lack of discipline is showing in a host of attending character defects. Our needs and our agendas often trump his, and when that happens, when there is no rigor in our gathering for our good and the good of our brothers, there is an attending weakness and a marring of the image of God. Do you really think that a football game matters more than the well-being of your soul? Or that you couldn't sing happy birthday later on? Or do you really think that gathering together and singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, do you think that that is not more important than flipping through the stations to find a blessing? It is more important to gather together because God has told us to. It's so good for us. Does it take discipline? Yeah. Will you be swimming against the flow of the culture? Absolutely. Will it be good for your soul? This, even as our outward man perishes, will our inner man be renewed day by day? Yes. It is the blessing and promise of Almighty God. Oh, how special it is when God's people gather. Thirdly, this, this gathering was orientated around the gospel. They were to exhort one another. They were to preach, teach, truth one another in love. The English words of church and the Scottish word kirk have at their root the Greek word kurios, which means Lord. And when you place them together, you have this assembly, and you have the Lord assembling together his people. Gospel exhorts us, it calls us out of self rule, it calls
calls us out of self-destruction. He calls us out of a smothering absorption with who we are and what we want and our preferences. And he calls us to meet together with one another. The reason that any of us are here today is because of the gospel. We're gathering because we're being cleansed. God is cleansing us as we come together. This doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that this is the ultimate spot. It means that this is the local place that God has raised up to take us from the city of destruction to the celestial city. I was reading our church history. He said, if you, want to, if you want to be a blessing in your church, read your church's history. So I was reading our church history this past week. So I, I comment from the history of First Baptist Church in Westerlo, May 26, 1800. 218 years ago. Listen to this. Our church was organized as a Baptist church at the home of Isaac Winston. Did you know that? In what was then Chesterville, in the town of Rensselaerville, Westerlo was not formed until 1815. Meetings were held with no degree of regularity for the first 20 years. They were held in private homes. They were held in schoolhouses, barns, and groves. And I just let that sink in. We had this great place to come together in. I mean, yeah, hanging out in the grove would be cool sometime. We could think about that. But the reality that here was this struggling group of people with the gospel orientated around God's word. And, and you got to understand, this was horses, this was walking, this was carriages. I mean, you got on the road early to get together with God's people. It was hard to get there for some, but oh, so worth it. And I'm committing myself that if you commit to gather, I will do my utmost as the one that you have asked to be pastor teacher, that I will not waste the sweat of the saints, that as we gather in this place, week by week, we will lift up the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who has loved us first and best, and will gather together and wash one another's feet. We'll gather together and treat each other in love. We'll gather together at times to say, would you forgive me? I've been a jerk this past week. Yes, would you forgive me for the week previous than that? And we'll gather together in such a way that we will model to our communities what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. To not just be Christians in name. Nominal Christianity isn't worth the spit that it is to say it but to be someone who is following hard after King Jesus. So what's the model of the church? Well, the model of the church, very simply put, is that it was designed to make God known, and it is, a, it is all centered around the gathering of those that have been redeemed. Father God, thank you for our time. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord God, for all that you're doing in us and through us. And Father, we want to make much of you. And you have determined that in making much of you that we would be together. And so help us do the same. For those struggling and wondering, does it matter? Father, I pray that your word would speak forth volumes. I pray that you encourage us. I pray, Lord God, that, it, that this, this place would not be a place about consumption, but place of transportation. Father, I pray that you would help us and lead us in our need. Father, even as we 
even as we gag on the white rug of secularism, I pray, Lord God, that we might be given your admittance, and Lord God, that we might be cleansed, that we might hear your still small voice, and not the white noise of our culture. Father, I pray that you would bless your people. I thank you for them. Father, I pray for a growing affection for one another. Father, I pray for a growing desire to, to make you known outside of this building to friends and neighbors. And Father, I pray that you help us to this holy end. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jerry, come, please.